Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. I want to look forward to next Sunday. Next Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays here at Netherwood Park. It's our annual baby celebration Sunday. It's a Sunday when we get to celebrate with all the families who had babies born during 2017. So we'll celebrate here in our worship service together. And then after our Bible classes, we'll go over and continue the celebration with a potluck meal over there. So please plan on being here next Sunday. Plan on uh, celebrating with us. Plan on staying and eating the meal with us as we celebrate with these families and the new life that's been brought into our church over the last year. Speaking of babies, if I seem more distracted than normal this morning, my grandson number two is scheduled to arrive any moment now. Alyssa's at the hospital. I don't know if I should say these kind of things, but I will anyway. Dilated to a nine and, I mean, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Exactly what that means, I'm not sure, but I, they assure me that means that the baby should be coming soon. So if you would keep Alyssa and Jonathan and James and everybody in your prayers, I would appreciate it. I left my cell phone in the office, so I'm not going to get that text you know, in the middle of this, but hopefully the baby will be born by the time we're through here today. Um, also, I want to give you an uh, update on our Bible reading challenge. This year we gave our Bible reading challenge the amazingly unique and creative name, Bible Reading Challenge. So our Bible reading challenge this year to date, we have read 370 books of the Bible. We're doing this for the third year. The reason that we continue with a Bible reading challenge is that we as a congregation, we as a people, very strongly believe in the power of God's word. We believe that if we are going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to call ourselves children of God, we should be immersed in God's word. We should be immersed in the story of Jesus Christ and his teaching. So if you are not regularly reading your Bible, I want to strongly encourage you to make that part of your daily routine, part of your habit to be reading God's Word. Also, I want to let you know that we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. We believe prayer is powerful and effective. That's why you'll find these green cards in front of you. We believe in prayer, and we would love to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request that you would like to bring to the attention of this congregation or just its eldership so that we, in turn, can lift your prayer up to God, we'd encourage you to take one of these green cards, fill out your prayer request, and drop it in one of the collection boxes, and you can rest assured that we will honor your request. You can find two collection boxes at the very back of the auditorium, can find a third one through these double doors. We believe in the power of prayer. I also want you to know that we believe in the power of baptism. We believe that it's in baptism that we join with Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. We believe that we come out of the water of baptism as new creations, new creatures, washed clean by the blood of Christ. And we believe that it's through baptism that we receive the liberating gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what my friend Desiree Armijo did last Sunday. That was an exciting time when her dad baptized her. And she joined with Jesus Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. And now she stands before you today a brand new creature. She looks the same, but she's different. She has the Spirit living within her. And I'm also excited to announce that at the end of today's service... 
we'll have another baptism. So look forward to that. And I also want you to know that if you haven't been baptized and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you'd like to know more about that baptism. If you'd like to have a conversation about being baptized, we would love to have that conversation with you. And that same green card, if you turn it over, fill out your contact information, check the box that said you would like to know more about baptism, drop it in the collection box, we'll contact you right away and we will begin that conversation. We believe in the power of baptism. We also want you to know that we believe in the power of the church the church universal, and certainly the church local. We believe that together God works in us in ways that he can never work through us alone. There is power in the church. And if you've been attending Netherwood Park for a while and you haven't yet let us know that you want to be a part of this church, that you want to work with us and worship with us and serve under this eldership, we'd encourage you to do that today as well. On that same card, if you'd fill out your contact information Check the box that says, I, would, I am interested in being a member of this church. Drop it in the box. We'll have that conversation as well. And we would very much look forward to working with you and worshiping with you here at Netherwood Park in the years to come. Well, as you can tell by the banners that are up behind me, our 2018 theme here at Netherwood Park is Out of the Boat, Living Uncomfortably. And in conjunction with our theme... Every week I've been giving you an uncomfortable challenge, a challenge designed to help you take a step out of the boat. And last week we challenged each other to volunteer to help out in various ministries in which we consistently find ourselves short of helpers. So we distributed volunteer forms last Sunday. We asked you to fill those out and turn those in, and many of you did that. If you were here last week and you got your form and you haven't yet turned it in, I'd encourage you to do that today. You can just drop it in one of those collection boxes we talked about and we'll add you in with all of the others who volunteered last week. Unlike most Sundays, I'm going to give today's, this week's challenge early in the service, early here in the sermon. This is uncomfortable challenge number 10. So listen up, pay attention. This is a praying challenge. So each day this week, I challenge you to pray a specific prayer for a specific person or a specific group of persons who would consider you an enemy. And they would consider you an enemy because you wear the name of Christ. It may be that guy at work. It may be that professor at the university. It may be that group that constantly is agitating against Christians, but a specific person or a specific group of people who would consider you an enemy because you wear the name of Christ. Each day this week, pray a specific prayer for a specific person or group of persons who would consider you an enemy because you wear the name of Christ. And as you consider this challenge, I want you to remember prayer is powerful and prayer is effective. And as you consider this challenge, I also want you to remember the words of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said this, he said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father 
in heaven. So once you take the challenge and pray for your enemies this week. Well, this morning we're going to move into the eighth chapter of Romans. And I know for many of us, this is our favorite chapter in Romans. It's our favorite chapter because in many ways, this is Paul's victory chapter. And I think for many of us, it's a favorite chapter because it kind of brings a sense of relief after all of the darkness that we encountered in chapter 7. If you were here last week, you heard Paul get very personal in chapter 7. You heard Paul explain and describe his struggle as a Christian, his struggle to do everything with his own power and his own strength. I don't know about you, but as I read Romans chapter 7, I can't help but identify with Paul because Paul's story is my story. And I'm sure that his story is our story. We see ourselves in Paul because his struggles are our struggles. Because his struggles are our struggles, his cries become our cries. We cry out with Paul, oh, what a wretched person I am. I don't do what I want to do. And instead, I find myself doing the very things that I hate to do. Oh, what a wretched person I am. And we cry out with Paul as he cries out, who will rescue us? Who will rescue us? In chapter 7, Paul took us to a very dark place, the dark place of frustration, the dark place of helplessness. Frustration and helplessness in our weaknesses. Frustration and helplessness in our inability to rescue ourselves. And Paul takes us there, and Paul took us there last week, but fortunately, Paul didn't leave us there in that dark place. Because Paul wasn't through crying out, because he ended chapter 7 crying out with joy. Who will rescue us? Our call, our cry is Paul's cry. Who will rescue us? Thanks be to God. He has rescued us through his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul's joy in being liberated from sin becomes our joy in our liberation from sin. Jesus set us free. And if you can't be joyful about that, I don't know what you can be joyful about. Paul has moved us from the darkness of prison to the glorious light of freedom in Jesus Christ. Who will rescue us? Thanks be to God. You see, with his resurrection, Jesus won. Jesus defeated death for all time. Jesus defeated sin once and for all. And as he did that, Jesus rewrote Paul's story. And he rewrote our stories. And he turned our darkness into light and our imprisonment into freedom. See, Jesus' victory over death and over sin is the climax of God's story of redemption. The story of salvation, the story of rescue. And so we stand here and rejoice with Paul in the glorious light of Jesus' victory. But we also sit here knowing that we still struggle. We know that we still cry out. We know that we still fight against sin. We know that we still have a hard time not listening to our old master. 
And that raises a big question for us. Now that we've been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ, how do we actually live free? How do we live in freedom? How do we live free from that prison house of sin that we found ourselves in? See, Jesus did his part. Jesus unlocked the chains. He opened the door. He set us free. So how do we do our part and live as free people? How do we live free from sin? How do we walk without those chains? How do we steer clear of our old prison cell? And here in the beginning of chapter 8, Paul is going to give us the big answer to that big question. How do we live in freedom? And Paul says, here's the answer. We can only live in freedom with help. And that help comes from the Holy Spirit. So let's listen to Paul tell us about being freed by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but live according to the Spirit. So Paul starts out once more talking about those struggles, about those power struggles that go on. There's that power struggle between God's good and holy law and our sinful nature. And Paul says our sinful nature took away the power of the law. He says, the law's ability to make us good and holy and righteous was weakened by us, by our sinful nature. But he says the story didn't end there. Because what the law was powerless to do, Jesus did. And Jesus did it powerfully. Jesus came to earth. And Jesus took away the power of sin. And then when Jesus returned to the Father, he didn't leave us alone. He didn't leave us helpless. And he certainly didn't leave us powerless. Now Jesus left us with a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gives us new power. New power to live the way the law always intended for us. Always desired for us to live gives us the power to live good and holy and righteous lives. And Paul says, when we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, when we yield to the Spirit instead of fighting against the Spirit's power, it's then that we're liberated. And we're liberated to do what our spirit desires instead of doing what our spirit hates. When we yield to the power of the Spirit, we're liberated to keep God's good and holy law. We're set free to love God with all of our heart and love God with all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. 
When we yield to the power of the Spirit, we're free to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. When we yield to the power of the Spirit, we find the law of the Spirit at work in us. Now we have the desire to do what is good and we actually carry it out. We do the good we want to do. And the evil we don't want to do, that we no longer do. And if we do what we want to do, we know it's not us that's doing it. We know it's the Spirit living in us that does it. See, when we quit struggling against the Spirit's power, the Spirit gives us the gifts that we need. The gifts that we need to truly liberate us from sin's power so we can live free. So we can walk free. So we can no longer go back to our old prison cell. When we yield to the power of the Spirit, the Spirit gives us the gift of a brand new mindset. Listen again to Paul, starting in verse 5. He says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It's the Spirit that gives us a brand new mindset. And we know that where our mind is set, the rest of us follows, right? My actions and my words and my thoughts are a direct reflection of where my mind is, where my mind is set. Our minds shape our lifestyles. Our minds shape our spirit. Our minds shape wherever we go and whatever we do. It shapes our very character. And if our mind is set on what the spirit desires, our lifestyle and character are going to reflect the spirit, the very spirit of God. But if our mind is set on what our sinful nature desires... It's no surprise that our lifestyle and our character are going to reflect sin. Paul expanded on this idea in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Listen to what Paul said. He says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, when our minds are set on what the Spirit desires, when we're preoccupied with what preoccupies the Spirit, we're free to enjoy peace. We're free to enjoy life as God intended it. And just what is it that preoccupies the Spirit? What is it that should preoccupy us? Where should our minds be set? Well, I think it's obvious. Our minds should be set on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says that's true life. Paul says that's true peace. And he also says, conversely, when we're preoccupied by that which preoccupies the sinful nature, we're enslaved by strife and enslaved with death. And he says that's also obvious. That which preoccupies the sinful nature is obvious. It's sexual immorality, it's impurity, debauchery, it's idolatry and witchcraft, it's hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, it's drunkenness and orgies. Paul said that is true strife, that is true death. So the Spirit gives us the liberating gift of a brand new mindset. And that mindset shapes us. It shapes our lifestyle. It shapes our character. And the Spirit also gives us the liberating gift of a new sense of what life is and what life can be and what life should be. So now listen to Paul as he describes how the Spirit frees us to experience a new sense of life. Romans 8, 9. He says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Uh, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. See, when we yield to the power, when we yield to the control of the spirit, we have a new sense of life. That's not just any life. Because we have been given the spirit of Christ, we're free to be more and more like Christ. And as our spirit becomes more and more like his spirit, our bodies begin to behave more and more like he behaved. Our lifestyle, our outward actions begin to reflect the spirit that lives in us. When we yield to the power and control of the Spirit who lives in us, our character becomes His character. 
We've been freed to have that new mindset. We've been freed to have a new sense of life. And because we've been set free, we also have a brand new obligation. Paul put it this way in verse 12 and 13. He said, Therefore, brothers, since we have the Spirit living in us, we also have an obligation. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We have a new obligation. We've got all kinds of obligations, don't we? And I think most of us would associate freedom with the removal of obligations. But Paul says we've been set free from our obligations to our sinful nature in order to be obligated to God. You see, not all obligations are created equally. For example, I have an obligation to make my mortgage payment every month. And I promise you, I take no joy in that obligation. In fact, I'm burdened by that obligation. I look forward to being free from that obligation. But I also have an obligation to my parents. I'm 58 years old, and you know what? My parents hold very little leverage over me anymore. They can't ground me. They can't cut off my allowance, because unfortunately they don't give me one. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they couldn't spank me, even if they really wanted to, and I'm sure there are times that they want to. They hold very little leverage over me, so why am I obligated to obey my parents? Why am I obligated to try to please my parents? Why am I obligated to honor my parents? Well, it's because of what they have done for me. Because of the magnitude of what they have done for me. And I take great joy in my obligation to them. I am not at all burdened with my obligation to them. And I take joy in that obligation. I'm not burdened by that obligation because the gifts that they've given me are impossible for me to repay. Because of the magnitude of their gifts. And that's the kind of obligation we have to yield to the power and control of the Holy Spirit. Because of the magnitude of God's love for us, we're obligated to love him. And we're obligated to love our neighbors. Because of the magnitude of the gifts that God has given us, we're obligated to joyfully give to him. And joyfully give to our neighbors. And we've been set free. We've been set free to have a new mindset. We've been free to have a new sense of life. And because we've been set free, we have a brand new obligation. But it's an obligation of joy. And this new mindset and our new sense of life and our new obligation, they give us a brand new identity. Throughout Romans, Paul talks a lot about identity. Listen as he talks once more about identity in verse 14. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We say that again. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are his heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. How cool is that? We've been adopted by God. Let me say that again. You've been adopted by God. And you've been adopted by God so you can adopt a brand new identity. Paul says if we're led by the Spirit of God, if we yield to the Spirit's power and the Spirit's control, we are the adopted children of God. And we're given all the rights that come with that identity. You're the adopted children of God. Not by your actions, not because of anything that you did, not because you were the coolest kid around and he wanted you as his son. You were adopted as a child of God by his actions and because of his love. He chose to adopt you. He chose to perpetuate his name through you. You are the children of God. You are Christians. He chose to adopt you. And when he adopted you, he chose to give you the right to inherit his estate. And what an estate that is. You are the heirs of God. You've been written into God's will. And if you'll yield to the power and control of the Spirit, you will enjoy abundant life as God's children now. And you'll enjoy eternal life with God as his child You'll enjoy that for eternity. And because of our Father's love and because of His loving gifts, because He has adopted us as His children, we've been set free to call the all-powerful God of the universe, Abba, Father. We've been given the right. We've been given the privilege to join with our brother Jesus Christ in calling the God of the universe Abba Father. No wonder Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel. May we never be ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Abba Father. To be able to call you Abba, Father, is something that we cannot comprehend. That you, the God of the universe, would look down on us in our sin, in our imprisonment. And Father, love us enough to send your Son to break the chains, to open the prison doors, and to set us free to be able to call you Abba, Father. Father, help us to yield to the spirit that lives within us, 
to yield to his power and his control. Help his character become our character. Help our walk to look more and more like the walk of Jesus Christ. Father, mold us and shape us and bend us and break us. So, Father, we can become more and more like him. And, Father, thank you for giving us the spirit because we know, Father, without him, we were powerless to do it on our own. Help us to live in that power. And it's the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We read these these words in Acts. Peter stood up before a great crowd and he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's a promise that was made over 2,000 years ago. That's a promise that was true then and remains true today. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized, I want you to know that God is calling you. He's calling you to accept a gift, a free gift of forgiveness, a free gift of the Holy Spirit. God's calling you to accept the gift of a new identity as his adopted child. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. A song's about our living God. And it's the same living God who wants to live in you through his spirit If you're here and you haven't been baptized while we're singing that song, we invite you to come to the front and accept God's gifts and accept your new identity. Let's stand and let's sing. Sing.